The Texas economy has been tied to oil for over a century. But Texas and oil haven't always had a steady relationship. That's because the oil and gas industry goes through major swings, booms followed by busts. That mainly happens because of supply and demand. When there's too much oil in the world, prices drop and there's a bust. But when demand for oil is high, lots of money flows into Texas. There's a saying in Texas, Lord, give me another oil boom. Wow, they're that good. They can be that good. That's our colleague Chris Matthews. He covered the last oil boom, which was so big that it helped pull the entire U.S. economy out of the last recession. But now, oil has gone bust again. Prices started collapsing in January, and the coronavirus made it even worse. And uh, there's been booms and busts since the 80s, but I think people are saying that this may be the worst bust people have seen in a lifetime. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, July 22nd. Coming up on the show, what going from a giant boom to a giant bust looks like at the biggest oil field in America, and what this bust could mean for the country's economic recovery. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. The oil bust that's playing out right now is having a dramatic impact on one area in particular. It's called the Permian Basin. The Permian Basin, this oil field in West Texas and New Mexico, it's a giant, massive monster of an oil field. And about 20 years ago, people thought that it was mostly dry. That's right. There's been drilling for oil there for decades, and it had primarily been traditional oil and gas drilling, you know, drilling down and sort of drinking up the milkshake. And after doing that for years, people thought they'd sort of drilled up everything and and pulled up most of what they could get. Along came horizontal drilling and fracking, and they realized there was all this oil that they hadn't yet tapped. And so, you know, beginning... In the late aughts of the 2000s, the activity began surging there, and it's just continued going up and up and up and up. That fracking powered the most recent boom, which really took off around 2013. It was going strong for years, which meant lots of money was flowing into the area. And Chris wanted to see what that looked like. So last year, he took a two-hour flight from Houston to see it for himself. It's sort of a bizarre frenzy of industrial activity in the middle of the desert. You'll find yourself in a traffic jam hundreds of miles from the nearest city where you're just sitting behind giant 18-wheelers waiting to move around equipment. 
It's it's hard to almost describe. I mean, at night, if you drive around on the highways, it looks like there's a sort of a fireworks show going on because there's all this gas flaring as far as the eye can see, and it looks like little candles across the desert. It, it feels like there shouldn't be this many people in this remote of a place, but they're all there because of the oil. How can you tell that it's a boom town aside from the traffic? I mean, so one way to tell is just massive inflation of costs. I mean, flying out there for a two-hour flight can cost you $500 to $1,000 just for a, a little short flight from Houston. Hotel rooms booked on short notice can be $500 a night during the boom. Another sign of the boom was an explosion of temporary housing that was popping up for oil field workers. They're called man camps, and they're mainly for men who come to the area without their families for temporary work. They look like um, popped-up overnight trailers that oil field workers live in. Back in, in the early days of the boom, the man camps were pretty spartan. They were, I mean, uh, I've even heard stories about folks staying in tents. As huh. the oil field boom continued, they got nicer and nicer. So last time we were there, we visited a man camp where they had a pool and they had a chef and they claimed that they were serving gourmet food to these guys. And where are the people coming that live there? I mean, from all over the country? Yeah, there were, there were workers from all over the country and, and honestly, all over the world flooding into the Permian. I mean, this is a place where a blue-collar worker can still make six figures and there aren't that many jobs left like that in the country. And the companies are sometimes a, a little quiet about how much the costs are, but we're certainly talking about thousands of dollars a month for these rooms that are really sort of staying in like a, a nice trailer. It sounds like New York City. <laughs> yeah. A nice trailer for $3,000 a month. Exactly. <laughs> but in the middle of the desert. The economic boom in the middle of the desert doesn't just enrich oil and gas companies. That money also flows into all parts of the local economy. We spoke to a barber out there who was making $180,000 a year driving out in a mobile barber shop to service oil hands near the oil fields. And he was just cutting hair from dawn to dusk and just raking in cash. So it just, it permeates the entire economy. Another type of business that benefits from an oil boom, restaurants. We called up one guy who owns a restaurant near the Permian Basin. His name is Israel Campos. I'm from Pecos, Texas. I'm out here in oil field country. Can you describe what Pecos is like for somebody who's never been there? Somebody who's never been here, it's, it's hot, first of all. How hot is it there today? Right now, it's, it's supposed to be like 110. Oh, man. So, and you've got a, can, you've got a business down there? Can you tell me about it? Yes, I, I run a barbecue business. We specialize in, in Texas barbecue, brisket mainly, pork ribs, sausage. Israel's restaurant is called Podies. And he says that in a boom, Podies suddenly gets a lot of new customers. Our population here in Pecos is about maybe five to 6,000 people. And then when the oil field was here, it's like tripled, like 15 to 20,000 almost. The folks from the man camps came and, man, it was like a man camp city pretty much. What does it look like in your restaurant during the boom times? Oh, man, we had a packed house pretty much every day. Like 90% of our business was oil field. Three, four caterings per day, salesmen 
folks from Houston, Dallas, and Midland, Odessa, they drive over here and they feed these, uh, these roughnecks out in the field. There was so much business driven by oil field workers that one bar Chris visited was able to sell tables to oil companies for $6,000. This is not a a nightclub. This is a, we're talking about picnic tables and, you know, buckets of beer and and maybe some country music. And and these companies were were spending six grand to have a, a dedicated table for a few months during the drilling season. It was crazy. They were, everyone was just raking in money. But along with every boom, eventually comes a bust. And by 2019, there were already signs that the good times might be coming to an end. For Israel Campos, those signs came in the form of fewer orders. When it started declining back in June of last year, I started seeing the numbers kind of fall. And then, you know, you started seeing people leaving a bunch of these uh, man camps. So you could tell, and I could tell by the numbers here, we saw one catering, maybe two a day. It went from that to about one a week, and then here lately, one maybe every two weeks. Wow. That's a pretty huge drop-off that you had. Oh, tremendously. Our colleague Chris also had a sense that a bust was coming. That's because Wall Street had pumped money into fracking companies, hoping that eventually oil prices would rise, or that drillers would figure out a way to become profitable at lower prices. But neither of those scenarios came true. Over years, it became clear that many of these companies just couldn't make money. And so Wall Street had really begun pulling back over the last year. And we started to think that there was definitely a bust coming. When that bust finally did arrive, it was more extreme than anyone could have predicted. What happened to those modern-day boomtowns? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. During the past decade, fracking in the Permian Basin produced an incredible amount of oil and an incredible amount of money for the local economy. But in 2019, there were already signs of a slowdown. And this year, an oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia made things much worse. And then the coronavirus lockdowns hit. The oil and gas industry came to a screeching halt. March came along and the entire global economy shut down People stopped driving to work, factories stopped producing goods, and that meant that demand for oil and gas plummeted. I mean, just fell off a cliff. And so 
the bus that was already on its way was suddenly like a band-aid had just been ripped. You know, it was what was inevitable was sped up rapidly by the coronavirus and what might have been a sort of slow motion train wreck turned into this dive off of a cliff. How far down off the cliff did oil prices fall? So oil prices had been bouncing around the sort of 50 or or $60 a barrel range uh, leading into 2020. And when the oil bus took hold, they fell, you know, into the 20s and then into the teens. And then for the first time in history, U.S. oil prices went negative. That's right, negative. For a few days in April, the price of oil was actually below zero, meaning people who normally sell oil contracts would have to essentially pay people to take them off their hands. Oil prices did push back into positive territory, but those low prices had huge consequences for the towns around the Permian Basin. I think the the Permian feels maybe not quite like a ghost town, but on its way. So oil workers who didn't live in the towns have been flooding out. There's no more work. So RV parks and man camps are, are empty. And now the lines at the food banks are stretching around the block. We talked to a food bank out there who said that 70% of the families they're serving at the food bank had never visited before. So it's really just gone overnight from this flourishing economy to a place that's struggling to survive in some ways. It's all compounded also by the fact that there was a quarantine out there. And so many of these businesses were forced to to close to try and contain the virus. So not only was the oil field slowing down, but restaurants and businesses were being forced to close because of the virus. One of those businesses that was impacted was that barber who was making $180,000 a year. Pete McGarity, the the barber who is driving out to cut Roughneck's hair, is no longer doing that. He would take a a team of, say, four barbers on his mobile barber shop to go to the oil field. And now he drives it by himself uh, around the desert, serving these smaller communities that maybe don't have a barber shop. But but it's not oil field workers, and and he's not cutting nearly as many heads as, as he was. Israel Campos' barbecue restaurant has also taken a big hit because his main customers, the oil workers, have largely moved out of town. What does the restaurant look like now? I mean, you said it was packed during the boom times. And... I'll tell you what, it's, it's closed. Our dining area is closed. Our main uh, deal is curbside because of the COVID. Uh, Texas is spiking right now, and, mm-hmm. and um, I'm down to, like, maybe in sales, maybe to 15 to 20%. Do you think you'll be able to stay in business during this bust? Man, we're... We're definitely trying. Tell you what, I'm, I've had to adjust some salaries. I tell them if it comes to a point where we have to close, well, we we won't. We'll do a, a limited menu, and um, see whatever's profitable that way, and and try to and try to continue on. Do you think that um, this sort of boom and bust cycle is it just a way of life for people in West Texas? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a way of life for us. You know, you start seeing. Folks that are not around from around here, they're like, they make so many plans, you know, because of booms here. Folks that are not from here, 
that have never seen this before. And they're like, hey, man, I'm going to be making so much money for so many, so many years. And then the bus hits and they're like, the bank comes for your truck. You know, the bank comes for your house. You know, it, it, it happens. It's reality for us out here. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we have to learn how to adjust and how to adapt. We're pretty resilient. I'll tell you what, this heat, I don't know if it makes us any any more tougher or, or, or smarter or I'm dumber for it, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to hang around. Chris says that Israel isn't alone in hanging around the area, even during a bust. Folks who live in West Texas are kind of a hardened bunch, and they're used to booms and busts. And so I think there's a a resilience that you encounter when you talk to them. They think it's going to be tough, but they also think it's going to come back. Do you think that the Permian and the oil industry as a whole will be able to come back to how it was before the pandemic? I think that the shale industry has seen its peak heyday. The U.S. was producing 13 million barrels a day, more than Russia and Saudi Arabia. And that was all because of shale. And most people I speak to don't think the U.S. will ever get back to 13 million barrels a day. That's not to say that the industry is going to zero barrels a day. It's still going to be one of the biggest producers in the world. But I do think we've seen sort of peak shale, the, the top of the industry, if you will. The Permian is maybe better suited than any other place to come back. But as a whole, this sort of unbridled optimism about this industry has kind of been left. I, mean, I don't think people think that the shale industry is ever going to be like it was. What do you think this bust will mean for the rest of the U.S. economy? The oil and gas industry definitely is important for the broader U.S. economy. I mean, coming out of the 2008-2009 downturn, one in seven jobs in the country came from Texas. And that was almost directly a product of the shale boom and fracking. And so the oil and gas industry has helped lift the U.S. out of one of the worst recessions in, in recent history. I think... The fact that shale may not be able to come back, the shale industry is not going to be the white knight for the U.S. economy like it was. And so the U.S. economy has sort of lost a a bullet that helped it recover. The shale industry can't be counted on to, to pull the U.S. economy out of this morass that it's in right now. But even if drilling does come back to the Permian, some people in West Texas are already thinking of ways to diversify, so they're no longer dependent on just oil. We spoke to a a rancher, and he told us that he recently signed a lease for a a solar project on his land, and that his long-term bet was on renewable energy. While it didn't provide as, as huge a return as oil and gas wells did. He thought that renewables and solar would be more stable. There wouldn't be the boom and the bust and that it was money he could count on. And so this rancher who's been making money off of oil and gas for generations has shifted to solar energy. That's all for today, Wednesday, July 22nd. 
The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Give me one more boom before I die. Give me one more chance to say goodbye. Hey, I want to be a dirty old roughneck walking in a bank with a big paycheck. One more.